Hey, if you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and open to the book of Acts. We are still hanging out in the book of Acts. If you have it on your phone, you can go ahead and go there. Use your Bible app on your phone. I can't because I have a flip phone. So, so I brought my actual Bible today. So we're good. Thank you. All right, and, and while you guys are going there, while you guys are opening up to Acts, um, and we're going to be Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 9, while you guys are going there, um, I need to tell you guys a story. Whenever I was in eighth grade, um, they had this thing, I lived in Houston, Texas, and they had this thing called Science Day. And during Science Day, they would take the whole group of eighth grade students from the school, we left and we went to this place called Six Flags, which is an amusement park, all right? And so it was, yeah, it was Six Flags over Texas. Um, and so it was, in, uh, it was in Houston, Texas, this one, this one was, and there's tons of roller coasters. It's kind of like Cedar Point, only a little more lame, like nothing compares to Cedar Point in terms of roller coasters. So moving up here, I've seen the light and Cedar Point is like way better. So. Nothing can compare. However, as an eighth grader, I want to tell you guys a little secret. As an eighth grader, I was terrified of roller coasters. Just terrified. Like, I was the kid that whenever we would go with our family to an amusement park or places where there were roller coasters, like, I always sat, like, holding my mom's purse, like, on the side, like, waiting for my parents and my, and my brother to get off the roller coaster. My brother, mind you, who was three and a half years younger than me and more brave than I was to ride the roller coasters, I would just, like, sit there holding my mom's purse, like, oh, I wonder if there's gum in here, like, looking through and stuff, making sure. And so I would sit there and I would wait because I was terrified, but I remember we got on the bus to go to eighth grade science day to go to Six Flags, and I was determined. I was like, today is the day. I'm gonna get over my fear of roller coasters, and the only way to do that is to ride the roller coaster. And so I was like, all right, here we go. Gonna do this. So we're walking around the park. My friends are like hyping me up, and they take me um, to this wooden roller coaster called the Rattler. And so I was like, all right, I think I can do this. I think I can do this. And you know, how many of you are afraid of roller coasters? How many of you are afraid of roller coasters and your friends have forced you to ride on one? Okay, yeah. Um, so, if any of you have ever been a little nervous to ride a roller coaster, you know, waiting in line comes in stages. Like, you get into the line, and it's one of those like, all right, yeah, you know what? I can do this. I'm gonna conquer this. This is gonna be totally fine. And then you like start to walk like through the line and it twists and snakes back and forth, and you start to get closer to where people are loading on and off the cars. And, like, and you, just, you start to hear the noise <clears throat> coming through the tunnel or, or going over the top of you. <clears throat> and you're just like, okay, it's getting closer. Okay, I can do this. And then there's this moment where like, you're like four people back and you realize that you're about to get on a roller coaster and you're just like, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this. I gotta get off, I gotta get out of here. And your friend's are like, no, 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 it's fine, you're okay, it's okay. And they, they push you, like they keep, like you're trying to get out and they're like, no, stay in there, stay in line, get in there. And so you're freaking out at this point and then you, you tell yourself this lie that you're gonna be okay. That nobody has ever died riding a roller coaster, like, Thousands of people ride this ride every single day and they get off perfectly alive and it's fine. But then you start to think, now you're, now you're like one person back and you're like the next car in and the little gate swings open and you're like, oh yeah. what if I just run through the cart out to the exit as fast as I can? 
But like your friend gets in front of you and blocks you and makes sure that you sit down in the car and you're just like, okay, I'm about to ride the roller coaster. This is going to be fine. This is going to be terrible. This is going to be the worst decision of my whole entire life. And there's this moment where like you think you're going to be okay. Maybe you talk yourself down and then the guy comes by and he like clicks the little latch bar over the top of your body and you go, oh no. I've made a huge, huge mistake. And so... In the moment that this thing comes down, I immediately regret every decision that I've ever made in my whole entire life as an eighth grader, and I start screaming. I'm just like, and so I am yelling, this little eighth grade boy, it's a very high-pitched squeal at this point in my life, and so I am absolutely terrified but there is, n there is no turning back at this point. However, I remember like the immediacy of that moment of like, I'm gonna be fine, I'm gonna be fine, everything's gonna be okay. Everything this is gonna be the worst thing in my whole entire life, get me off of this thing! Like, and I remember that moment, that immediate moment where I decided that this was the worst decision of my entire life. And it was terrifying. But it's in that moment, like it is a quick decision where everything is okay, everything's fine, and immediately, this becomes something that, like, I've got to turn around and I got to get off this thing. Holy cow. I got to change direction. I got to go backwards through the line. I need to avoid this. I got to get out of here. And there's this immediate, immediate nature to, to this moment. And a lot of you who've ridden roller coasters, you know this. Everything's fine. And then all of a sudden, everything is terrible. This is horrible. And there's this, there's this word there, that, this immediate nature of this thing, where it's like, immediately I knew I had made a bad choice. Immediately. And so I want you guys to remember that word, immediately. Like it is a quick thing where everything is going one way, and then immediately my mind was changed. Immediately I wanted to get off. What I thought was right, immediately I knew was wrong, and I needed to get out of there. Needless to say, I eventually, I rode the roller coaster. I did get over my fear of roller coasters by like the third one I rode that day after I'd screamed my guts out. I had, no, I had no more voice to scream by the time I got on the fourth roller coaster. So I couldn't be afraid because I couldn't scream. It was fine. So, <laughs> so anyways, much like I lost my voice this weekend at Wallapalooza. Luckily it came back. <laughs> Same. Um, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead. Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Um, and we're going to be starting in verse 19. Verse 19. So if you remember where Saul has been, Saul, this guy, was what? He was enemy number one to the church. This guy hated everything about the church, the early church. He, he, he saw people persecuted. He dragged people off to prison who believed in Jesus. And he was like, this, I've got to take out this movement of people. These guys are going down. I'm getting rid of this. This is terrible. But then last week, we saw, we saw Saul meet Jesus in the middle of the road on his way to Damascus, which is a city. Um, and so he was on his way there actually to persecute more people and to take more people to prison. But Jesus, this guy who he thought was dead, ends up meeting him in the middle of the road. And Saul has this life-altering moment, this tipping point that we called it, where he meets Jesus and he changes forever. And so we are going to kind of see the aftermath of that today. So he meets Jesus. He goes blind for three days. He doesn't eat or drink anything. And then this man named Ananias comes and restores his sight. And it's in this moment that we pick up verse 19. His sight is restored. And then in the very beginning of verse 19, in taking food, 
he was strengthened. So here we go. For some days he, still talking about Saul, for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, he is the son of God. Now wait, time out. This is the same guy that three days before was on his way to Damascus to rip people out of their homes, to persecute them, to try to put them in prison, and to kill them because they believed in this guy named Jesus who everybody up to this point knew was dead. What? Something has happened. Now, all of a sudden, people who weren't with Saul were like, yeah, that's Saul. He's the guy who persecutes the church. He's the guy that, watch out for him. Like, he's enemy number one. Now, all of a sudden, imagine this. You're sitting in the synagogue, or the synagogue is basically just, it's the temple. It's where, where the word was taught. It's where the Old, um, Old Testament, the, the scriptures, the, the scrolls, where they were read through and taught. All of a sudden, these people who go to the synagogue, who, who are a part of this early church movement, see Saul bust in the door, and he walks down, walks through the hallway, walks in and takes a seat, and you're thinking, we're all going to die. What's happening? Like, if you imagine, like, whenever you see somebody that you know, like, hates your guts, and they're walking through the hallway, and, like, if they come and they sit down next to you on a bench or something, you're like, well, my day just got horrible. Like, everything's about to go horribly wrong. Like, I'm either going to get yelled at or beat up or hit or something. This is going to be terrible. And then imagine that person comes and sits down next to you and goes, hey, how's your day? And you're like, what? I'm sorry, what? Excuse me? This is what's happening. Because Saul, who had been persecuting people who were saying that Jesus is the Son of God, now walks into the synagogue where these people who he's been persecuting and killing, he walks in there and he starts proclaiming Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the Son of God. And all the people in the people are like, huh? What? That's a, you're not going to drag us off to prison? And, who are you? And so it's just like, it is this totally crazy moment that these people see Saul and it's just like, we thought you were coming in here to like get after us and hurt us. What's happening? Verse 21, and all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? It's like he left Jerusalem with a warrant to come and bring people to prison, but now he's in here and he's on our side. What? What's happening? That'd be like in the Super Bowl that's coming up. Everybody's getting ready. They're in the locker rooms, getting all dressed. The Eagles are getting dressed. And in the locker room walks Tom Brady. And everybody's like, Tom Brady's here. He's here to mess with us. He's here to do something. And Tom Brady starts putting on like an Eagles uniform. He's like, I'm on your team now. It's like, I'm sorry, what? What? What's happening? Like, that's, what's, that's what is going on here. They're like, this was the guy. He was supposed to come in, and now he's, what is happening? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. So not only is he proclaiming Jesus as alive, but he's saying, yes, Jesus is the Christ. He's the one who's come to rescue and save us and bring about redemption and fix what's been broken. And so verse 23, when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. So what a switch that's been, right? So Saul was on the team of the Pharisees, and he's like, hey, these guys who are saying all this stuff about Jesus, they deserve to die, and they need to be taken out. 
And so he was with, the, with these guys over here who are like, those Christians are they're stupid. They're, those guys are idiots. Now, Saul's over here, and it's only been like a week. And the Jews over here, the, the Pharisees, are like, uh, we need to kill Saul. <laughs> like, this has switched very quickly. It's kind of insane. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. I just think that's, like, how big of a basket do you have to weave to fit a man inside of and lower it down? That's a side note. I just think that's funny. Um, it had to be pretty large and a very strong basket. I don't know. Maybe, maybe Saul was skinny. So... Here we go, verse 26. And when he came to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. Imagine that. The disciples, these guys who were with Jesus, who started the the early church, who were instrumental in in the beginning of the church. Now this guy Saul, who they know has been murdering people, he's like, hey, I want to hang out with you guys. And they're like, um, uh, we're busy on Friday. We got plans. Okay, well, what about Saturday? Uh, no, uh, my mom, she's sick. Um, with what? Uh, she's, uh. She's, was, we just can't hang out. We can't do anything. We, we just, I'm busy. And so Saul's trying to hang out with these guys. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. They thought that he was trying to trick them, to be like, he's saying that he's one of us, so he can get in our house, and he can kill us all. Like, they're freaking out. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. And so stop right there. So now Saul, he has an advocate, this Barnabas guy. He's saying, whoa, no, no, no. This Saul, I know you're afraid of him. I know that he was a really bad guy, but I want to tell you, he's legit. He's too legit to quit. Like, he knows things. <laughs> this is the best. Angel, I love you. All right, so he is, he is the best. Like, Bar- I don't know what to do with that. Barnabas, he's like, this guy, he's the real deal. He gets after me. He's like, yes, believe me when I tell you that Saul is speaking the truth. So here is, he goes in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly the name of the Lord. And uh, here's where I want you guys um, to start paying attention. That's it, yeah. Acts. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So now there's all, there's all this commotion. All, like, there's like riots happening. People are like, all right, we got to get this Saul guy out of here. We thought he was our number one, number one guy on our team, but now it turns out he's working for the other team. And what's happening? we got to get rid of this guy. So there's all this commotion. So they send him away back to Tarsus, which is actually where he's from originally, which is interesting. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now that is crazy. That's, cr- that's absolutely insane. So, so Saul, if you guys remember at the very beginning of this passage, what was one of the words that it used? Immediately. Saul, who was going down this path, who was going after people, now has immediately changed direction. And he says, Jesus is alive, and he is Lord, and he is the Christ. He is the Messiah. And so this man that was enemy number one, God has changed his heart and is now using him. Look, 
when the brothers learned this, they sent him away. But 31, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It multiplied. So where we, we, we began this story with the church being taken out and their numbers were being dwindled, all of a sudden now, because of this one guy, because of Saul who has been changed, the church now has peace and it's multiplying and it's growing. And it's like, what in the world is going on? And the reason is because that Saul is changed by Jesus. We're going to jump into Colosh, or, sorry, Galatians. Galatians 15. Let me read this for you guys. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, this is, this is Saul writing this, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might, be, might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And then 18, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him for 15 days, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the region. So he's telling us about his journey and how after this, he's, he's meeting with all these people. He's just recounting what we just read in the book of Acts in Galatians here. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. And it's that last sentence that I want us to really cling into this morning. And they glorified God because of me. That's a, that's a pretty heavy statement. They glorified God because of me. And I want you to ask yourself the question, whenever you go in and out of school or in and out of class or in and out from your sports team or practice or anything else that you're doing, dance, music, choir, you're hanging out with your family, you're playing games with your friends, you're, you're with people on Saturday and Sunday afternoon. Whenever people are around you, would you say that they glorify God because of you? Because of who you are and because of your story? And I think it's a really tough question to ask because I know personally for me there's a lot of times where I walk out of a situation and I go, yeah, I don't, I don't think that person probably saw Jesus in me. Definitely, probably not. And the best part about this story is that God takes this guy named Saul, who is enemy number one, who nobody thinks any good can come out of, and he changes his life, radically alters his future, and immediately Saul begins to follow Jesus and proclaim him as Lord. And it's this testimony that he has of one who is completely against it. Like, what in the world would change his mind to where now, instead of going after and trying to kill these people, He's risking his life trying to tell the world that Jesus is real and he exists and he's alive still today. What would have happened? What would have had to have happened for, that, for this change to have occurred in him? And it's because of this that people are like, well, this is so, such a radical change, such, a, such an immediate change that maybe the only thing that's possible is the fact that he is telling the truth, that he did meet Jesus, and that Jesus is alive. And that begins to create questions and say, so what does that mean for me? What do I do with that? Here's the thing. I, I think the very fact that not just Saul, but the disciples, 
So the 12 disciples, right, who hung out with Jesus his whole entire life here on, here on the earth, whenever Jesus was killed, whenever he was crucified, the disciples ran away and hid because they thought everything that Jesus had said, like, he said we were going to do all these things. He said his kingdom was going to come, that he was going to reign, that everything was going to be great, and now he's gone? What happened? We were supposed to, we were going to, and now he's dead. So what do we do? And they go and they hide because they're afraid that if other people figure out that they were following Jesus, that they would end up just like him, dead, buried, gone. So what was it that changed these 12 men who were, who were fishermen and tax collectors and, and just like regular guys to go from hiding and being terrified to all of a sudden, at the same moment, all 12 of them, along with hundreds of other people, turn around and they begin proclaiming that Jesus is alive. For me, that's probably one of the most important parts of Scripture in my own faith, in my own walk with Jesus, to say these 12 guys were terrified. The only way now that they have turned and immediately start preaching the name of Jesus to the point where they give their lives for these things that they're saying is that they were true. Who of, okay, maybe one guy, maybe one guy would be able to fake it and give his life away and, and, and not tell anybody that what he was doing after, after Jesus died, like, okay, that's it, I made the whole thing up. Jesus really wasn't alive. I just, you know, I just wanted some attention after, like, I, but all 12 of them? All of these people who, who witnessed Jesus, so many of them giving their lives, and not one of them would say, all right, you got us. That's it. We just made it all up. It's fine. It's just a joke. No. They all went to their death proclaiming Christ was risen and alive. And how did, There's no way that they come out of hiding and begin to proclaim boldly, and that the church begins to explode and multiply without something happening. Which for me means that the resurrection is real, and if the resurrection is real, then that changes everything. And because of that, whenever I realized that, I immediately changed the way that I was living. And I would hope that for you, the realization that the resurrection is real, that Jesus is alive, and that he's in charge, and that he's Lord, would change everything for you. One of the best things that I've ever heard um, was from a guy that I listened to a lot. He said, going to church is the worst hobby that you could possibly have. Like if you're just here because it's like, oh yeah, this is like a, a nice thing to do like on Sunday and I'm just, I'm just here. Like if that's all you're here for, go buy a boat and hang out at the lake. Like that's way more fun than, than coming here on a Sunday if none of this is true. Going to church is the worst hobby of all time that you could possibly have if you're not all in on this. So we meet on Sundays, right? We're here. We meet in small groups. We hang out at Winnawalapalooza. We hang out at Mix and Ruach and other things that we do. We hang out throughout the summer. We do all these things. And here's the reason why. Like, there's no, there's no trick to it. We do these things, all of the leaders that are here in this room, the reason why we want to hang out and why we want to do all these things is so that you would know Jesus and be changed by him. <coughs> that you would know him and that your life would immediately and dramatically be altered, be different. 
Because there's a difference in going to church and being the church. There's a complete difference. And I think that there's so many of us who were here just because it's like, this is kind of what we've done our whole lives. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with obeying your parents and showing up because they want you here. But what I want is for you to want to be here. That's like my deepest desire, that you would desire to come and to be part of this because you, want to, you so want to continue to learn what it looks to be more like Jesus because he's the one who can rescue and save. There are things in our lives that we look at and it's like, that is so broken and messed up and I don't know what to do with these things and my family's a mess and my friends are a mess and all, every, like, you look at the world and it's just like, what is happening? But there's a guy who's named Jesus who is alive and who's working and he says, I came to fix this and put this back together. And the way that I'm going to do that is through you. Those of you who are sitting in this room, he didn't say, oh, I'm going to use the church and I'm going to use you, but really I mean somebody else or I, I just mean when you're older. No, he's talking about you right now. Whenever people look at you, do they know, if, you're, if, you, would say, if you would stand up and say, I'm a believer, I'm, I believe in Jesus, and I believe that he saved me, and that he's the only way that I can be rescued and have eternal life and life to the full, like if you would say that, and I think a lot of you would, would other people know that by just looking at you? Or would you have to open your mouth and tell them? I think there is value in telling people, but I would hope that other people would know by the fact that you are kind and the fact that you have compassion on other people to the point where other people are just like, what is going on with that person? They are so overly nice and so overly kind and so joyful and they have this peace. And what is, who are they? How do they deal with this? That you would just be able to say, it's Jesus. That is my hope for you. Amen. That we would be changed by the gospel that your teachers, that your coaches, that anybody, your instructors, that the adults in your life, your family, your cousins, your friends, that everybody would see you and they would say, something is different about you. And you can say, I once lived my life this way. And I did whatever I wanted and I, I, I was empty. But I realized that Jesus called me to himself and that he gave me new life and there is hope and life and freedom in the gospel and immediately my life was changed and I was different and there's I think a question of, of how should I change what should I look like and I think it's even as simple as just looking at um, Galatians 5 a little bit further on the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. He's saying that old life that you had, it's gone, it's dead, it's over. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become concerned, sorry, conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. If you have been changed, this is what your life should look like. This morning in, in main service, Pastor Mike read off this list, this Google list. I love, I love, I can't believe how well this message lines up with what I'm trying to talk about this morning. It blows my mind. Um, he read this Google search of, why are Christians so, and then he left it blank. And he went through 20 pages of answers, and there was not one positive answer. 
Why are Christians so judgmental, hateful, hypocritical? Like all of them were just negative after negative after negative because that's how people view the church. What if people viewed the church differently because of who you are, because of what you're doing? What if people began to say, man, like what I would love, why, why is the church so kind? Why is the church so compassionate towards people? Why is the church so forgiving? Or why is the church so loving? Like that should be the question on people's minds, but it's not. And I want to challenge you who are sitting here to be the ones to make that change and to be different. That people would see you and see how you have changed. To see that the church is something, not something that you do, but it's who you are. That you are the body of Christ. You are part of Him. That you've been changed by Him and you've been adopted into His family. It's not just, I just go to church on Sunday to check off the box and just be here. Because everything that we do, I just want you guys to know Jesus. I want you to be like Him. Because I've lived my life for myself. And you could ask any other adult leader in here. But there has been a point in our lives that we have lived for ourselves. And let me tell you, you end up empty every time. Every time. But it's because of Jesus that my life, that maybe your life, is changed, is different. It's completely new. And we see that in Saul. Saul goes on to become one of the most pivotal people in the entire New Testament. He writes 13 books of the Bible. This guy who nobody thought anything good could come of. And let me tell you, a couple weeks ago, I, I said that Saul is you, right? That people maybe at one point looked at you and said, there's no hope for that person, for that guy. There's no hope for that girl. But Jesus rescued you. And some of you, even now this morning, are thinking, there's no hope for me. There's no way that Jesus would want a guy like me or a girl like me. There's no way. There's no way. And the truth is that you're absolutely wrong because Jesus does want you and he loves you and he wants to rescue you and change your life and offer you a life to the full. I'm not saying that it's an easy thing, but I'm saying that it is the truth.